one of the many odd practices of the Christian church uh, that sets us uh, at odds or apart from the society within which we live is that we observe an entirely different calendar. Uh, The foundations of the secular calendar are the phases of the moon and the earth's relationship to the sun. So the waxing and waning of the moon through the months, the four seasons dictated by the uh, two equinox, uh, fall and summer. But the foundations for the church calendar are the phases of the life of Jesus and our relationship with God's son. So the rhythm of a seven-day week beginning on Sunday, traditionally, and the seasons also dictated by two focal points, Christmas and Easter. These calendars can have a significant impact on how we view life. As an example, we could look at these two different calendars, secular and church calendar, and think, The secular calendar acts as kind of a pace setter in a race. It keeps us moving forward. While the church calendar acts kind of like an anchor at times that keeps us stuck in the past. Could be a way of looking at it. Or we could look at the two different calendars and think the secular calendar keeps us stuck, oops, stuck on the same circular path with no foreseeable end, while the church calendar allows us to experience here and now, at least in part, a whole new world and new life. Um, Obviously, it comes as no surprise that I am biased towards the second of those options. Um, This has been the belief of the followers of Jesus since he rose from the dead. However, that idea of basing our understanding of time on an experience of a major act of God's redemption began before Christ. In our story this morning, God sets a brand new calendar for the Israelites, intimately connected to their experience of God freeing them from oppression as people enslaved in Egypt. As we look again at this scripture, at this story, we'll see that God's intention was that this new calendar would be more than just a way to mark time. It would be a way to experience time in a way that brings hope. The commemoration of this day would be more than just a remembrance it would be an actual experience of this new phase of God's salvation. We see this uh, in the way even in which God introduces the coming event, which will be known as Passover. The whole of this chapter, chapter 12, is instruction from God on how to prepare for what is about to happen and then how to commemorate what is about to happen in the future after the event has happened. The timing, though, of this introduction at this moment is quite odd. 
Leading up to our story this morning, we had this whole series of Moses and Aaron bringing portent after portent or plague after plague to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They started out with almost comical frogs and flies and but then it got increasingly intense and life-threatening. And the final portent that we read last week was thick darkness over the entire land for three full days. Thick, thick darkness. Pharaoh still refused to let the Israelites go. So immediately before what I read just a bit ago, immediately before our scene, Moses proclaims that at midnight that very night, God will pass through Egypt and bring death to the firstborn of all their human families and animals. But God will pass over the homes of the Israelite families and their animals, leaving them alive, including the firstborn. If this final portent had followed the same pattern as each of the preceding ones, the very next thing we would have seen and witnessed and read after that proclamation was the fulfillment of what Moses had warned. But before that happens, God essentially pulls aside both Moses and Aaron and gives them all these instructions. Not only about the part I read, slaughtering and roasting and eating the lamb and sprinkling its blood on the the door frame. But then it goes on with this. Verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance for seven days. You are to eat bread without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off. Actually, it's more of a will be cut off um, from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. Do no work on these days. Verse 17, celebrate the feast of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this as a lasting ordinance. Uh, In the first month, you are to eat bread without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. Um, It goes on like this. Um, Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. So that's, these are held together. Passover and the, the feast of unleavened bread. Only after all of these instructions do we hear in verses 21 and through 23, um, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it, dip it into the blood in the basin, put some on the top and on the sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out after the door of their house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, God will see the blood on the top and the sides and will pass over that doorway. And God will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Um, Several commentators point out that 
these instructions about roasting the lamb and eating the lamb and unleavened bread and the future commemorations, all of this seems to be much something that would have been much more appropriate to have instructed Israel about after they left Egypt. I mean, there's a whole scene when they, when they are in the desert and Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the law from God and then goes down and instructs the people on how they are to live in the future. That seems like a perfectly appropriate time to have gone through all of these details. However, by God intimately weaving together the future acts of commemoration with the event when it happened, God was signaling that the commemoration would be more than just a mental reflection. Both the events themselves and the commemoration would be linked together forever as transformational experiences. The actions that will take place in the commemoration tie together with the actions that did take place with the event. Verses 2 and 3. Uh, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year, till the whole community of Israel. And on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for the whole household. Uh, verse 6. Take care of this lamb until the fourteenth day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Verse 8, that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire. Verses 16 and through 18. On the first day hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work on all those days except prepare food for everyone to eat. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on that very, this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. These are in the moment and for the future. And probably the most telling is a later passage, verses 24 through 27. God says, uh, Moses says, actually, to the Israelites, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land of your, uh, that the Lord will give you as God promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when God struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed and worshipped. Notice that question. It's completely designed for the future in one sense. When this happens and your children asks, ask, what does this mean to you? The response is, this was the day that the Lord saved our homes and our families. And God makes it quite clear that this observance of God's redemption is not 
again, just for the Israelites who were actually enslaved in Egypt and maybe until they die out. Again, over and over, we heard it through this, that this is to be an, a lasting ordinance that you are to celebrate for generations to come. All of the actions that God commands here in the original experience, God uses in the future commemorations to impart an experience of God's salvation to all who observe the celebration. This is the way that Terence Freethine puts it. When Israel enacts the Passover, it is not a fiction, as if nothing really happens in the ritual, or all that happens is a recollection of what had happened in the original event. The reenactment is as much a saving event as the original enactment. The memory language is not soft matter, recalling to the mind something, some story of the past. It is an entering into the reality of that event in such a way as to be reconstituted as the people of God thereby. The Passover is called, God says, this is the Lord's Passover. As such, it is a sacramental vehicle for making the Exodus redemption real and effective for both present and subsequent generations. This whole tradition, both the original Passover and the commemoration, provide the context for our celebration of the sacrament of Holy Communion. In the same way that God intertwined the actions of the Exodus with the actions of the commemoration, so did Jesus with the actions of the Last Supper and the actions of the commemoration, the Lord's Supper. In the same way that the commemoration of Passover for those of the Jewish faith becomes a transformational experience of God's redemption, so our communion of the, uh, and our commemoration of the Lord's Supper becomes a transformational experience of God's redemption for us. Both commemorations break us out of the confines of linear time and let us experience a moment either out of time, is one way to think of it, or maybe it allows us to abide in a moment in a whole new experience of time, all of time being within this present moment. I've noticed over the past probably five years or so, uh, the proliferation of immersive experiences um, where the event tries to put the participate, participants fully within the recreation of a past event or a past time. Um, I tried to get tickets, I did get tickets actually to the uh, the Van Gogh immersion experience the first time it was supposed to come to Seattle and then they canceled it. But one of the most successful of these immersive experiences uh, I, we were able to go to, and that is the play Here Lies Love. It's a musical based on the life of Imelda Marcos. 
And many of the people who go to see the show stand on the floor of what is essentially the stage. You're, you're right there and the action is taking place above you and around you on these platforms. And you're so much immersed in it that the stage actually changes formation at times and you have to move uh, with wherever the, the stage moves. And at one point, the entire theater becomes a disco. Uh, Studio 51. Is it 54? 54. Yeah, Studio 54. And so those who are on the floor become the dancers at the disco. That is an amazing experience. If you ever get a chance to go, you have to do it. It started as a, it workshopped here in Seattle at the Rep and is now on Broadway. It is a truly immersive experience to a point. In a very similar way, but even more so, both the Passover and the Lord's Supper are immersive experiences. Now, we don't use lighting techniques or sound effects and uh, actors. What happens for us is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the ex with the Exodus, God began a whole new phase of salvation. As followers of Christ, we believe that God deepened this through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And because of the way God intertwined the actions of the original events with the actions of the commemorations, we don't simply remember those events from the past. Instead, we experience these events in the present. Thanks be to God.